this change was engulfing me and enthralling me and leading me into torment. And, uh, you know, I have a life beyond my wildest drunken dreams today. And uh, I owe it all to Alcoholics Anonymous and you people. <laughs> I'm grateful for you people. You know, you guys saw me walk in. A lot of you that are here, you saw me walk in. Wow. Stumble in, you know, with two backpacks and, uh, and no place, you know, and uh, I found my place in Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, there's two people, two kinds of people in my life today. People that I know and people who I have yet to meet in here in Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, I'm looking forward to meeting every, each and every single one of you. Thank you. Okay, any 19 or 20 year olds? 20 to 25? 25 to 30? 30 to life. No, okay. Then we have a literature. Uh, do we have a literature person this evening? I do believe we do. By the way, if you need a phone list, there's one right up here on the table. Please come and take one. Hey, how you doing? My name's Aaron, uh, standing literature and an alcoholic. Uh, happy birthday to everybody who took two cakes. Uh, thank you for uh, for uh, taking the twenty uh, newcomer chip. Uh, thank you for reminding us. Um, we have literature. Uh, we have hardbound uh, big book literature. We have pamphlets. Uh, twelve and twelve. If you need one and you can't afford one, let us know. We'll make sure you walk out of this, uh, this place with one. Um, and then uh, we also have uh, Grapevine. We're gonna, you're going to be doing Grapevine later, of course. We always have the Grapevine, and then we also have pamphlets if you want to hand, uh, take one and hand out to somebody that you that think you think needs one. Needs one. So uh, thank you for letting me be a service. I don't need to announce the basket, right? You're going to pass the basket. Let me announce it. Just go for it. Ten minutes. All right. All right, my turn. I'm Rookie, I'm an alcoholic. Rookie. And uh I uh you know I, I just I, I could talk about the here now. I I uh I I now have been coming to Alcoholics Anonymous longer than I've been coming anywhere else. And uh and that, I'm, that's in every category, you know. And uh I uh you know I I really didn't get any any freedom from Alcoholics Anonymous until this last time when I was completely defeated. And, uh, you know, I had to take it to new levels of incomprehensible demoralization, you know, way, way down there, you know. And uh, I, uh, I, I, I'm I super grateful that I was able to hit those lows and still survive, you know. And uh, so a lot of people didn't, a lot of my friends did not, you know. And, uh, you know what I what I've noticed. I've been trying to. You know I I would I barely made it here. You know Javier asked me last minute to come and. Uh, you know I I'm not afraid to turn down a request, but uh, you know I don't usually say I don't tell Javier no. You know and uh, that's been keeping me pretty safe. So I call, I call my sponsor every day multiple times, mostly two, three times a day, you know, and, uh, and he takes my call. And uh, I think, uh, not that I'm much different than everybody else, but sometimes I do think I'm a lot crazier, you know, I have a lot of issues. And, uh, and so because of that, I've been, uh, you know, I've been really working on, I've, I've been listening a lot, reading a lot. I mean, I, I'm really working on, the, you know, my connection with, with my higher power. and. And as a result of this program, my spirituality, you know, because uh, Alcoholics Anonymous immediately always gives me financial freedom. You know, I, I'm a hustler, you know, and uh, you, you sober me up, I hustle. And uh, so that, that that's never a problem, you know. I get I get a lot of stuff in Alcoholics Anonymous immediately. My family back and, you know, no matter what I seem to do, they still love me. I, I don't know what to do about that, you know, and... Uh, so lately I've been working a lot on, on spirituality and because my head seems to never quit, it's not easy, you know, it's not an easy task. So, because I, I, I like to think that, you know, letting go and letting God is, uh, cause I let go and let God right now, 
you know, and, and in another minute, this thing starts telling stories again. And I, as soon as it starts telling stories, I, I believe it. And once I feel it, the story becomes real. And uh, it doesn't matter how insane the story is. It really doesn't. I believe it. And once I feel it, it is real. And uh, and that gets exhausting. You know, if, if you're like me, by 10 o'clock, I've already written seven different series with, you know, 10 episodes each series, you know, like, you know, when you get to Netflix and you turn on it and you're like, oh, five seasons, 10, you know, episodes each, I, I write those by, you know, 10 o'clock in the morning, you know, and, uh, and the problem is, is I feel them, you know, like, wh whatever thought pops in my head, I feel it and I get stomachache and, and then I, I don't get to enjoy my life, you know, I don't get to enjoy, my, my life's a miracle, you know, I, I don't have any real I don't have any real problems in my life. Javier's right here, he tell you, my, my life is unbelievable, you know? I, I do not have any issues besides the ones I make up in my head. And uh, and so since I've been doing that so consistently that I figured I would I would try to start working on that, you know? And uh, it, it's a hell of a job, you know? I've, I've been trying hard to give it to God, give it to God, give it to God, that's my new thing, you know? like it. I try to catch that thought as soon as it starts. I just try to give it to God, you know, because I, I, I've actually realized lately that, uh, you know, the the person or the thing, it, it's not, it's it's me, because I, I can get mad. I tried it the other day, to be honest. I tried it. I called Javier and said, hey, I tried it on three different people. I was just as mad at all three people as I was the one I, I love to be mad at, you know? Like, I have one favorite person that I can get mad at. It's a cheap shot, you know what I mean? It's like, uh, easy, easy money, you know? It's like kicking a dead dog. It's sad, you know? And uh, not to be mean, you guys don't know, so it's all right. But, but yeah, it's a cheap shot. And, and so... So if I'm not feeling right, I, I immediately go directly to that person. It's like I'm waiting to shoot a squirrel with a 50 caliber, you know? It's a, it's a terrible thing. And so, uh, you know, I, I did notice that it didn't matter who I picked, that I could be just as mad as e at each individual or my truck or my house. I could be mad at any in particular thing at any given moment the same. And I can make up the same amount of stories about that equally. And so uh, I realized it was me. And so, uh, you know, before, before I, it gets tiring. So, so before I, I try to get it started before the first episode, I try to give it to God immediately, you know? And, uh, and you know, first thing in the morning, I got to give it to God, give it to God, give it to God. And I just repeat it over and over and over again until it disappears because I don't know, nobody told, I looked at, I've been looking, there's no real instructions on how to give it to God. You know, I would like to say, okay, I'll give it to you, God, and then be done. But that, but it doesn't work, so I have to keep giving it to him. And you know, in the last couple of weeks, I've probably said I give it to you, God, two, three thousand times a day, you know? And, uh, but I've had a nice couple of weeks, you know? And, uh, and it's been a little bit less crazy, a little bit longer breaks in between stories. And uh, because those stories for me are, are, are super real. I, I don't know if any of you understand, get it, but this fucking thing, man. I make up so much stuff in here, and uh, and I, I want to be free of it, you know. And uh, I want to be free of it without dying, because they say that's the only way that you beat the ego. You kill yourself, then you win. The ego loses, you know. But uh, other than that, I, I just uh, I, I trudge every day. I uh, if I say I'm gonna be there, I, I'm there, you know. I suit up and show up. It's one of the things that I've perfected in Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, and. Uh, and this this last, I'm coming up on five years again. I'm I'm good for five years. I I've been coming to Alcoholics Anonymous since uh, 2001, and uh, this is gonna be my third time. Well, I did take a dirty cake, my second five year cake, by a couple months. Now it wasn't that. It was, it was only four years, ten months. I was taking some Vicodin for my knee. I was taking ten at a time, and. Uh, I bet my knee hurt, so I had to take extra, you know, and uh, so I took, I probably took four or five before the 615, took my five-year cake, I felt fine, I didn't, didn't bother me one bit, you know, and uh, it was, didn't bother me one, I thought I did great, you know, and uh, so I'm coming up on five again, and uh, you know, this, this time around, 
I've never been able, I've never had a life. And I've had good life in AA. I've had wonderful success and I've got to, to experience, like no, no matter how many times I relapsed or no matter how many times I messed up, it's so if, if, if you're here and you mess up a lot of times, they, they can't take your time from you. You don't get that, that birthday, but they can't take it. All the years I've been in Alcoholics Anonymous, they're mine. And I, I earned those years. And so I get to keep them. I, I just, I'm going to take a five-year cake again. You know, that, that's all, you know. I don't get to take a 23-year cake. But, uh, but all those days, all those tough times, all those lessons, th those are mine. Nobody can take from me. No matter how many times I had to raise my hand. I always thought I, I lost every, every every time I relapsed. I thought, oh, shit, I lost everything again. You know, oh, no, only only the outside stuff, you know. Because uh, if if I wasn't here all those days, all those relapses, I wouldn't know the things I know today. And the things I know today, I wouldn't trade for nothing. You know, my life's unbelievable today because of, because of all those relapses, because of all the terrible damage I did in AA. Cause I I done more damage since I've been coming to alcoholics anonymous to the people I love than I ever did loaded. You know, when I was, before I came to Alcoholics Anonymous, I, you didn't have to worry because if I started messing around, I'd be gone in a minute and then you're not gonna see me. Usually I started out a couple years, then it started out five, six, eight years at a time. You know, it didn't, it, I didn't bother nobody, you know, until I came to Alcoholics Anonymous. Then you guys kept me out of prison and everybody suffered because of it, you know? And uh, <laughs> straight up, but since I came to Alcoholics Anonymous, I have not been to prison, you know? And uh, I took a couple of rests, minor arrests, silly ones to be honest, but uh, since I've been coming to AA, I have not been back to prison. So because of that, everybody has paid the ultimate sacrifice because of that, you know? They had to sit there and watch me in my garage, you know, doing weird shit, you know? But uh, yeah, doing weird stuff. Uh, put the lock on the outside of the garage, you know? Like, nobody can come in the garage, but... Uh, if I had gas, I would have not been in my garage. I didn't have gas for the truck, so I had to stay in the garage. You know? But uh, but my life is unbelievable. I, I didn't keep track of it. I think we're, we're pretty good. I know we're running late, but uh, but I'm glad I came tonight. Of course, you know, if I'm here asking, you know, I'm gonna come. So I'm I'm really glad I came, and uh, I appreciate the food. I was hungry. I, I didn't get to eat, but uh, we're gonna take a break. Thank you. No, go ahead and call. Huh? Oh, Javier, no break. Javier, come on up. Yeah, thank you very much. Oh, if I would have known that, I would have talked a lot longer. But... <laughs> My name is Javier, and I'm an alcoholic. And uh, you know what? First of all, I'd like to uh, wish Melanie a uh, happy eight years. It's a big deal, girl. And then uh, Jerry, 18 years. It's a big deal. You know, and, uh, and uh, Steve, who identified as new, you know, uh, I got a call on Tuesday. And the people that have been sober a while will understand this. I get a call on Tuesday, and my friend says, what are you doing on Friday? And I'm like, you never want to have that. You, you'd rather him say, hey, you want to go do something? But when they say, hey, what are you doing on Friday? You know you're doing something. So I'm like, so my regular answer is, well, I don't know. What am I doing on Friday? And he says, are you speaking at Pinkler Park? I don't know what the hell the name of it is. Yeah, that park. We're speaking at that park. And he goes, do you have a problem with that? And I thought, nah, I don't. I don't. You know, and about two hours ago, Roki calls me because like he does, he calls me like three or four or five or eight or nine times a day. And uh, I'm really 32, I just look older. And uh, and uh, and I, he calls me and he says, hey, what are you doing? And I said, I don't know, what are you doing? And he goes, I'm on my way home. And I said, okay, well, meet me at Beaker Park at six o'clock, you're gonna leave the meeting. And he goes, I don't know if I could get there. I go, I think you can. And uh, we got here like two minutes before. Before I, uh, I go any further, I need to tell you my sobriety date. My sobriety date is July 31st of 1989. I had no intention of getting sober that day. I had no intention of ever being sober. I had been introduced to Alcoholics Anonymous, and, and, I'll, and I'll talk about that. The way I was introduced to the 12-step program was this. I'm 27 years old. I'm hooked on, on alcohol and cocaine, and I can't stop. And nobody, I know none of you guys experience this, but nobody in my house will let me go into a room by myself. So it sucks when you gotta use the bathroom and the doors are open, right? Not really, but you know what I'm saying, because you know, at that point you have like morals, nah. So I remember thinking, what am I gonna do? And my friend said, let's go to Cocaine Anonymous. 
And I heard him say, let's go do cocaine anonymously. <laughs> so I had, a, I had a gram in my pocket and I said, hell yeah, let's go. So I go to my first meeting and they, there's, there's a leader up here, like Roki, and he's talking, blah, 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 blah. I don't know what the hell he's saying. All I keep thinking was, hurry up, hurry up, when are we gonna start doing cocaine? And so he goes, oh, it's break time. And I go, this is the time. Now we do the cocaine. So I take my grandma in my pocket. I put it on the table because I don't want to share. And my friend goes, no, no, no. We do that after. Now, he'd been sober like 40 days. That's what he was telling everybody. And he said, no, we do cocaine after. So I thought, shit, I'm going to join this program. And uh, unbeknownst to me, three and a half months later, I, uh, I left my house on a Thursday to go play softball. I swore I'd be back. I had all intentions of coming back. You know, we were playing in the state championship. At that point, I was playing for a bunch of uh, uh, very influential people. They're called drug dealers now. And, uh, and he said, if we win this, I get this. And it was a lot. And so I get to that thing, we win that game, he gives me that bag. Uh, I proceed to do what I do. And I, walked in, and, I, and I walked up the stairs to my apartment in El Sereno, in beautiful El Sereno. That was about 600 square feet. At that time, I was making 16.50 an hour when I went to work, and we were on section nine or eight or section 13. I don't know what section we were on. But my wife, my girlfriend at the time was paying for the rent because I am incapable of bringing any money home. Doesn't matter what I make, I'm incapable of. She looks at me at the door, she throws me a bag, and she says, get your shit and get out. Now, in that bag was everything I owned. Just, I didn't know it. I didn't know that all I had in that bag was a couple of uh, shirts, one dress shirt, a pair of Jordaches, and a pair of Sergio Valentes. Now, wait, 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 wait. I know you guys. Wait, stop. I know you guys are old, young. So let me explain what Jordaches are. Jordaches were like sevens 20 years ago. And Jordaches were the hip jeans at the time. And if you could get a pair of Jordaches, you were there. Wherever there was, you were there. My problem was that my Jordaches were 20 years out of style. And that's all I had. And if you would have told me when I was an eight or a nine-year-old that that's the way my life was gonna be at 27, I would have said you're foolish. I would have said that you're wrong. See, I grew, I grew up in a decent household. My father was an alcoholic, and he was. But my mother made more than up for that. And my mother and my father sent us to private school. I graduated from a private school. I went, to, you know, I, I had the ability to go to college. <laughs> college to me wasn't like going to class college. It was more like go, hang out, play pool, you know, try to get by class. And so I had all these abilities. I have two brothers. One of them is, uh, is, is extremely wealthy. And the other one is, uh, is a chancellor at a very prestigious university. I have three sisters and they're all okay. But I know that when I was a kid, that I felt different. I just felt different. I would walk into a room and I would just be scared. Just like unparalyzing fear. And I, I knew, and if you know me now, and, and, if, and if you're close to me, you know, I'd like to tell you that I'm humble, but humble people don't express humility. And so I'm not. And I am a loud mouth and I am sarcastic and I am all these things. And in that point, when I was that little kid, I was just afraid, just afraid. But I had the secret weapon. And the secret weapon was at any age, at any age, when I was a kid, I could play against people that were five, six years older than me in a particular sport and I could outshine them. And I knew that as long as I played, I could, I could accept the accolades that they were gonna give me, which were gonna allow me to feel better about myself. Because I was just afraid. You know, I was the oldest. My uh, my middle brother uh, was it, it was not is a genius. And the seventh grade, they thought he was autistic, and they tested him. And though in the sixth grade, and they realized that he was a genius, a bona fide genius. I grew up in the middle of East LA. My father probably made fourteen dollars an hour when he when he retired. My mother never worked. I have no idea how they put us through, through private school, but my little brother got a full scholarship to 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 this private academy called St. Catherine's Military Academy because he was such an he was so intelligent and I thought you know why doesn't that stuff happen to a guy like me why can't I be the one that's that goes to this private school and all that and I remember just feeling different feeling different and what happened for me was I was about 13 or 14 years old 
uh, in those days when we had a party, it was usually in a basement. And we're having this party with a bunch of guys. And somebody walks in with a 12-pack or a six-pack of Schlitz malt liquor. I'll never forget that. And when he when he put the, the six-pack down, it was like it had the, the I guess, it was the, the alcohol was beating, right? It was that cold alcohol. It was a summer day. And they're there. And I'm afraid to tell them no, right? I've seen my father. And, and my father was the kind of drunk that went to work and came home. But when he got mad, he usually beat the shit out of me. I'm the oldest. And I wasn't a good kid. Going back in my inventory, I wasn't a good kid. But it, it always seemed like he just hit me. And I thought, I do not want to be like my father. I am never going to be like that man. But I remember they, had to, they, they said, hey, do you want a beer? And I was afraid, so I said, yeah. And I remember taking that can of small liquor. And I remember drinking it. Now, I don't know about any of you guys. And I know there's a bunch of stuff that's been said. But the moment that I had that thing hit the bottom of my stomach, I knew, I knew that I found it. That I found that thing that's gonna make me not be afraid. And how I knew was real simple. To my left is a guy, that, and if you guys have heard this story, it's my same story. To the guys the left, to the, the left is a guy that I know. On my best day and him asleep, I'm not gonna win a fight. But I decided that that day I was gonna hit him. And, and like Roki said, you know, we get these really good ideas, right? They seem like they're good ideas, but they're only to us. And my mind said, if you hit him, Javier, you're going to win this day. And I thought, no, I'm not. And it said, yes, you are. And I went, okay. So I turned and he looked at me. He might have said, grab me a beer, something polite. And I remember I hit him. And I want to tell you guys I'm a good fighter and all that. That's all bullshit. I'm not. And so when I hit him, he just went like that. And I went, oh, that's not good. He didn't even go down. And I'm like, that's not good. And so he looked at me and he said, Javier, tomorrow when you're sober, I'm, gonna, I, I, I'm going to take care of this. What he said was, I'm going to kick your butt. What I heard was, for the first time in your life, Javier, you had the courage to do something that you were afraid to do. And that's when my alcoholism took off. At the age of 13 or 14, I'm traveling all over the country playing with Teleku uh, softball. I'm a 14-year-old kid that's traveling all over the country. I'm in Oklahoma. I'm in Sacramento. I'm with these older men, and they're paying for me to go play with them, and they're giving me stuff. They're giving me alcohol. They're giving me weed. They're giving me all this stuff. And I think, I don't like it. I had, I, I, I drank everything from, from you know, $200 uh, scotch to to uh, cheap Tyrolean wine. I have never liked the taste of alcohol, but I loved what it did. And I drank strictly for the effect, not knowing that that little boy was gonna turn out to be a drug addict and an alcoholic. You know, at 17 or 18 years old, this poor girl fell in love with me and uh, I fell in lust. I was 18 years old and she said yes and I said, cool. And then uh, she said a year later, she said, guess what, we're having a kid. And I'm like, what? A kid? And she thought, and everybody thought that that was going to kind of like settle me down. And what it did is it got me angry. How dare you interrupt my extremely busy life? I'm going to school. I have no credits. I'm barely hanging in there. I'm not attending class. I have a, 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 I don't have a real job. I don't have anything going for me. But I get mad at that. So I just start to drink and use. I just started to drink. And uh, somewhere along the line, I met that guy, that one guy. And this is the last I'll talk about my drug. Uh, we were sitting in a car and he whipped out this thing and he said, I said, what's that? And he said, this is gonna change your life. And the dude had no idea that that it was, it was. And I took a hit and I chased it for six years. I remember being in my apartment and this guy coming over, kind of like, like Bill and Abby, and, he's, and he came over. And what I thought he came over for was a drink. And no, he came over to try and help me and I couldn't hear it. He talked to me about Alcoholics Anonymous. He talked to me about cocaine. He talked to me about the 12 step programs and I couldn't hear it. I couldn't hear it. I thought, you know what? I'm not that bad yet. Now, in my house, there's pictures on the wall of my daughter that drew. My daughter at that point was maybe five or six and she was in preschool or kindergarten. And there's all these pictures. And everybody be like, oh, how cool, you put your picture, your daughter's pictures up. No, that's not what happened. What happened is either my wife or my girlfriend at the time threw an ashtray at me and I moved and it hit the wall or I hit the wall. 
So there was holes everywhere. There was holes. I mean, these are my funny stories. You know, we went to the Renaissance Fair with all good intentions. Whenever I'm going to go anywhere, people will ask this stupid question. Are you going to be okay? Of course I'm going to be okay. I haven't started drinking yet. I'm going to be okay. But once I take a drink, I have no idea where I'm going to go. I have no idea what I'm going to do, and I might as well just tell you sorry when before I start. Because even with good intentions, I'm always going to go one step too far. We're at the Renaissance Fair, and we started to drink and, and all of that, and they gave us those stupid little things and the ale and blah, 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 blah. And I remember going back to the car, and I know I was, I, I was drunk, and my wife told me something. We put my daughter in, in the car, in the car seat, and I remember she said something and I slammed the door behind him. The door shatters all over my, you know, three-year-old daughter. And I just think that's just some of the consequences of my drinking. I don't even think of it as a bad thing yet. I'm, I'm stinking drunk about 25, 26 years old. I'm trying to rush home so I can continue to drink and, and, and do what I want to do. And there's a train crossing and, the, and, the, and the, 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 the thing comes down that's telling me the train's coming. And I'm trying to get around this guy and he won't move because I got to cross the train. I can't, there's no way I can wait that long. So I got to get around him and somehow the truck gets stuck on the train tracks. And I remember looking over and seeing that light and thinking you're going to die on the train tracks with your family because you want to go home and get drunk. And somehow the gear, the, the, I got it in gear, I went around and, 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 and that didn't stop me. You know, right before I got sober, my, my father, so my father, so I got sober in 89. In 86, in 86, my father invites me to a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. He says, would you come and watch me take a cake? I said, for what? He goes, it's not your birthday. Your birthday's in June. He goes, I'm gonna take a cake. And I'm like, whatever, dude. So I remember drinking that day. I tell my little brother, hey, let's go watch dad take a cake. I don't know for what, but let's go watch him. So my little brother's sitting right next to me. My little brother is uh, six years younger than me. Or, no, eight years younger than me. And he's sitting right next to me. And in the meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, he says, is there anybody new to Alcoholics Anonymous? And my little brother stands up. I go, what a sissy. Why are you trying to please your father, dude? You know what? You don't have to get up. And he gets up in this meeting and he identifies as a newcomer. And my dad takes a one-year cake. No. 89, 87, 88. It was an 87. So he gets up and he takes a newcomer chip. My dad takes a one-year cake. Now, I don't believe my father's sober. So for the next day, year, I'm following him everywhere. When he goes to the garage, I'm following him. When he goes to the, to the car, I'm following him. You know, right before my dad got sober, this is what happened. I came home, I came home one day to my mom's house and my dad was getting mad at my sister and he was about to hit her. And I thought, no, dude. And he was drunk. I said, no, you're not going to hit her. And I remember pushing him over the bed, you know, just the bed and nothing crazy. We didn't get in a fist fight. I just pushed him over the bed. My dad was a tall, lanky guy. And I pushed him over the bed. And I was probably drunk too because I wasn't afraid because I was always afraid. And I pushed him over the bed and my mom told him, you need to leave. And my dad left and came back six months later and said he wasn't drinking. I thought, that's bullshit. How do you not drink? Well, he's the one that found alcoholics anonymous. It's funny, when you ask my brother how much time he has, he doesn't remember, because my little brother doesn't really attend that many meetings, he's a professional, blah, 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 blah. But when you ask him how much time he has, he just says, two years more than Javier. That's all he says. He doesn't know what we have, but he goes, two years, how much time do you have? 33. Oh, I got 35. That's all he says, you know, and, and it's funny now. And when I heard his story, I realized that he was a drunk. I had no intentions of getting sober. I had no intentions until that day. I had been introduced to Alcoholics Anonymous through that program, uh, the other program, and I had been at meetings with my father. And I had been into, and I and I had watched two of my friends go into, go into a, a rehab. You know, now everybody gets sober in, in recovery houses and stuff. When I was in 89, it was all about rehab. It was a big deal. Everybody was getting into rehab because we all had insurance. And it was the biggest scam in the world. You know, the, dude, 30, 32 days, I think, was costing us like 42 grand. You know, in 89, I don't even know what it would cost now. But I remember thinking, you know, I know that there's a place. So 
as I told you that story about coming home, when she threw me the clothes, it was it. I had nothing left. I had My mom wasn't going to be there for me. My sister told me, you're not going to watch your, your nephews grow up. You're going to die. I had nobody left. And being an alcoholic of my type, I begged. I begged. Like, what do I need to do to stay? And she said, you need to go to rehab. And I remembered Ricky, who's now dead. Most of them are dead. I remember Ricky going, he went to rehab and he was using. So I thought, we could do that. I'll do that program. I'll still drink and use. So I remember going into this, this rehab facility, which was Monterey Park at Garfield Medical Center. And I walked in and this, this very friendly nurse meets me at the door, this, this gentleman, and he starts asking me a bunch of questions. And he says, You're gonna, you need to stay like now. And I'm like, no, no, no. Now, I don't really brush my teeth or comb my hair or look good or any of that stuff. That's all a lie. But I tell him, hey, hey, no, 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 I gotta go home and get my stuff. I have to need something to brush my teeth. And he goes, well, was the last time you brushed your teeth? That's not important. But, uh, but, when, but I'm going to do it today. And he goes, no, you should stay. And I said, I, I thought, I have some stuff in the car. Is my car going to stay? And they said, no. And so I thought, I had nowhere else to go. So I figured, I'll do what you guys tell me to do for 30 days and see what happens. My job was only to be sober for 30 days. That's all I wanted to do. And what eventually happened was he did a, they did an assessment on me. They put me on an EKG machine. I just told you I'd been up for three days. I'd gotten home. I was, I, I, at this point, at this point, I, I'm just so high and drunk that, that the machine's going crazy. God, 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 God. The, the EKG machine. And I remember for the first time now, I know God. I went to a private Catholic school for 12 years. The day I graduated that school was the last day I needed God. I do not need God. You know, that dude was that dude never gave me what I wanted. When I was a kid, I wanted a mini bike. He never gave it to me. There's no God. So I remember thinking, I don't need a God. But when that machine was going, I remember asking God for the first time, please don't let me die. I don't want to die. I'm 27, 28 years old, and I don't want to die. At this point, I have two kids. I have one daughter that was born during this all of this insanity. And, you know, a normal person would be there. She gives birth. You hang out with them. You bond with the baby. A uh, person like me, we give birth, I leave. I leave. Under the pretense of, I need to celebrate, I just had another baby. I couldn't afford the first one, but I just had another one. And so now this one's going to be different, and it wasn't, you know? So I check into that hospital, they do the EKG, all of that. The guy comes up to me and he hands me these, these two red pills, which is, I think, July 30th of 89. And he says, take these. And he says, we'll talk in the morning. And I'm like, bro been up for three days i don't know what these are but you're gonna need a few more you know i'm gonna need a few more two's not gonna do nothing so i take these pills i remember going into my room and then i wake up it's july 31st and i'm like what the hell did you do how bad was it did you actually commit to this thing what are you thinking why would you be here you don't want to get sober and then we went to a meeting that day now, I don't know about my first meeting or what I heard. I don't remember nothing most of that time. But in my first meeting, I remember this woman talking about incomprehensible demoralization. Now, I'm a kid from East LA with a 12th grade education. And you've heard the way I speak, so I'm not eloquent. I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know what that meant if I would have Googled it. <laughs> but I know what it meant in here. When she said that, I thought about my daughter sitting in the back of that truck with the train coming. When she said that, I thought about my daughter going with me to the store and me going somewhere else and leaving her in the car for two or three or four hours while I was able to watch the car and say, it's not that bad. I remember hiding stuff all over the house, like Bill, hoping that they didn't find them all. And I remember thinking, maybe there is something to this program. What I haven't told you is my, when my father beat me the last time I was about 10, 10 years old, and I swore to God at that moment that he was never, ever going to see me cry. He was going to have to kill me before he see me cry. Because in my mind, I thought that he got off on watching me cry. And I thought, I will never shed a tear again. So I'm the kid that holds everything in deep down inside. And when I snap, it is bad. Because I told you I can't fight, but I'm not going to lose. So it's whatever's near me 
and sorry for you. And it would happen when I drink. When I drink, I just explode and I became this thing that I wasn't, that I am not. And I remember thinking, that's the way I am. And people would be, why did you snap? And I'd be like, I don't know. So as I stood in this program and they start, started talking about Alcoholics Anonymous and they said, all you have to do, Steve, is just not drink in the day that you're in. I thought, how the hell do you do that? And they would say stuff, and don't take me wrong, and I don't want to piss, I don't want to get anybody mad. This is my opinion, right? If you like it, great. If you don't, no big deal. They would say stuff like, you know, uh, uh, keep it or not. They would say, uh, they go and they guy. Great, great, great. That's great. How the hell do you do that? Oh, well, no, 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 no. How do you do it? Don't explain it to me. How do you do it? I want to do it. Tell me how to do it. Well, you know, you just got to trust God. Stop. I don't have a God. I'm seven days sober. I have nothing. Don't talk to me about God. Talk to me about a solution for my problem. I am craving this shit. How do I not do it? And somewhere along the line, when I was new, I heard this guy say that he, had night, that he was 90 days sober. And he went out. And the first thing he did was he craved his girl a good choice. See, I'm an alcoholic, and I say that all day, and I go to Alcoholics Anonymous, and I love Alcoholics Anonymous, but the truth of the matter is, the moment I take a drink, I ain't taking the second drink. I'm going to go do what I do, and I'm going to die. But I'm going to do what I do. And when he said that, I thought, shit, he's right. Most of the time that I did what I did, I did it under the influence. So if I don't drink, I don't crave anything, and I don't get to do it. No, it, did, it wasn't that simple, but that's what I believed. And I said, okay. And then in that first month, they read this. They said, you have to admit to your innermost self that you're an alcoholic. I thought, what? How do you do that? It's simple. I know who I am. I believe that I've been able to stay sober all this time because I know who I am. And what I am is I am an alcoholic that picks up a drink and takes it and then does what he does next. And once he does what he does next, nothing, nothing. here's the perfect example. I'm 25 years sober. We're sitting in Puerto Vallarta with my wife. It's a beautiful day. We're on top of this restaurant. We're looking over the ocean, the pool's there. It's a great time, great day. Waiter walks up and I say, what is your best drink? My wife, my wife's weird, my wife's weird. She'll take a drink and drink half of it and then leave it there. And I'm like, hey, Roxanne, aren't you going to finish that? Nah, I don't want any more. I'm like, no, Roxanne, seriously, aren't you going to finish that? You know, I don't care about the money, but it's the alcoholic, you know, or she'll have a half. My wife will buy a six pack of Miller Lite in January. In December, she's like four left. She, we have a night, this is just complete. We have a, a refrigerator in the backyard that's got sodas, water, and alcohol. Every July, she goes out there, and I'm like, hey, what are you doing? She goes, I'm checking the date. I go, what date? She goes, oh, don't you know beer expires? I go, now where I grew up. I said, Roxanne, have you ever drinking it, you know, warm where it's kind of salty? She goes, no. I said, oh, have you ever drinking it where it's warm, kind of salty, and it has a cigarette in it? She goes, no. I said, huh. Okay, well, then you're not like me. She goes, why was it salty? I said, you don't want that to know that answer. So see, I know some of these people have, <laughs> but so anyways, um, so we're sitting at that, at that thing and I tell this guy, Hey, uh, what's your best drink before he can answer my, see 33 years sober is not the number. I asked Don Babs and I, respectfully, I asked Don Babs, what's the number? There's gotta be a number where you stop thinking like Roki said, where your brain stops. I said, Don, what's the number? And he was 45 years at the time and we were at norms. And he goes, well, I can tell you this, it's not 45 years. <laughs> he says, I think it's the day after. And I said, the day after? He goes, yeah, the day after we go, we go to heaven. So this voice starts talking and the first voice says, very vividly, 25 years sober, it says, hey bro, why don't we have a drink? 25 years sober, it's your anniversary. You're in Mexico, it doesn't count. That's not true, that's not true if you knew, it's not true. Doesn't count. And then the second voice says, hey, hey, if we're going to have a drink, because at that particular day, my wife and I are walking, shopping or whatever, and this guy comes up to me and says, hey, you want to buy some drugs? And, I, and my second voice says, hey, 
you can go back and find that guy. And the third boy says, hey, we can go for a while. We got some money. The fourth guy says, how are we going to hide it from her? I'm like, I'm hearing all this all and all. And the fifth boy says, you're going to get, you know, you're going to get divorced, but don't worry about that. We're going to have a good time. And, and then the sixth voice goes, hey, stupid, order a nice tea and I'll stop. And it was right. Order a nice tea. And so I do this thing. I do these 30 days and I think, you know what? I don't know if I want to stay. And, and you know, in those days, they used to, Hazeltine was very popular and they give you these books. Remember, Tina? They give you these big-ass books where you do a fourth step. It's about that thick. And they ask you all these questions. And uh, I'm, I'm doing this writing and it asks me about my father. And it's, it asked me how I felt about my father. And I remember writing, and as I'm writing, the paper's getting wet. And I'm thinking, why is the paper getting wet? And then I realized for the first time in whatever long that was, I was crying. Because I even, despite everything, I've always just wanted my father's approval. No matter what I say, no matter what I did, I just wanted his approval. And I remember thinking, can you forgive this man? And I thought, yeah. Now, you know, I, I get out of I get out of treatment. I'm 35 days sober, 38 days sober, whatever the hell I'm sober. I get back to work for the first time, and I worked for the first time in five years. I worked, like I told you, I was making good money. My problem was I worked Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Mondays I don't show up, and Fridays usually rare. If you pay me on Thursday, I'm not going to work. So I get to work and I put in a full week, and I get my first check and it's garnished, 25 percent. I'm like. Hey, what's going on? And they're like, Javier, the state says that you haven't paid taxes. I'm like, dude, I don't have time for taxes. I mean, I barely have enough money to get by. And so I'm thinking, AA sucks. This program sucks, man. I come to AA, they're taking my money. This program sucks. And this guy that I don't ever remember seeing again, I was telling him about how I was going to drink that day because he knew I was sober. And he said something like, you know, if you go get your your taxes done and you get one dollar back, they stop garnishing your wages. So for the first time in about five or six years, I go do my taxes, and the government government gives me back three or four thousand dollars, the most money I've ever had, first bank account I've ever opened. I think it was at Pacific Security. That's how old it was. That's the one. And so I opened my first legitimate bank account with an ID. I mean, I'm the guy that when you walk into the check cashing place, they know you by a first name basis. I have here. You know, and so I opened up my first checking account and I thought, okay, let's try this. You know, let's let's see if this works. And so I started going, I don't really go to meetings my first year, I'm not gonna lie to you. My dad takes me to meetings, Spanish AA, I meet a guy, I ask him if he'll sponsor me, and he gives me one of those thick thick books and doesn't really doesn't really help me. Because when you're new, you need a lot of help. I don't understand a lot of things. So I just hung out in AA. Somewhere along the line, this really pretty girl said something to the effect of, do you play softball? I heard something different, but she really said, do you play softball? And I said, just so happened that I do do that. She's like, would you like to play with me? Us. And I, again, that's what I heard. And I said, of course I would, my love. And, uh, and I joined the softball team at Los Amigos at six months sober. So then I just started becoming a part of. I didn't believe I could stay, but I wanted to play. So I just started, I just started to hang out. And that first year, I just did what they did. I didn't do anything special. I, I went to meetings with my father in Spanish AA. I hung around with this man. The one thing I will tell you, if you're new, you don't have to lend anybody any money. You know, I lent, my, my, I lent one of my sponsors money, never seen him again. And it wasn't even a lot, it was like 25 bucks, 20 bucks, never seen him again. And so it just kept going, right? Because then I became a part of that group that was playing softball and I didn't want to let them down. I didn't really believe this bullshit. I'm sorry. I didn't really believe this this God thing and this Alcoholics Anonymous thing and this one day at a time thing and this trust God. And I, I didn't believe any of that. But I wasn't drinking, so I just kept doing what I was doing. And then what happened is I took a one-year cake and I remember taking the cake and I took it in Alhambra and my brother was there, my father was there, my, and they were both... My little brother told everybody that would listen, don't put any faith in this guy, he's going to get loaded. He's going to get loaded and he's, and he's going to break your heart like he's always did. So I took that cake out of anger. I just took the cake just because I wanted to, to prove him wrong. So I take that cake and all I did was cry. Cry, cry, cry. Thank you, Alcoholics Anonymous, for everything, right? Even though I wasn't doing anything. And at 13 months sober, I want a drink. 
See, the one thing I know now is that alcohol and drugs, they weren't my problem. Those are my solution. People always say, oh, no, that's your problem. No, it's my solution to me. My problem is me. And the way I think and the way Roki talked about it and the way I see things and the way I view you and the way I, I perceive you and the way I hear you, you tell me something simple like no and I turn that into a conversation. Especially if it's the wrong no. Why? Why won't you do what I want you to do? I mean, I think it's an easy request. I mean, you know, and, uh, and we could go on, right? And at 13 months, I go, I, I've been hanging around this, at, this, at this club at, at Los Amigos, and this guy used to go up to the podium every day. In those days, if you're new, in those days, let's get, at Los Amigos in those days, it was an hour and a half meeting. You're going to get three people at most that shared. They usually got up, and those were the smoking days. So they get up with a cigarette in their mouth, a cigarette in their ear, and a cigarette in their pocket, and they start to share. And they were usually like five or six years old at the time, and they start to talk, God only knows what the hell. One guy used to tell us about tanks and stuff, and he was funny. He was a liar, but he was funny. And so then, then they light the second cigarette. Then they turn that off, and then they light the third cigarette. So they were going like 30, 40 minutes. But this particular guy would always go up there and talk about the steps. He was, a, he was on fire with Alcoholics Anonymous. He was on fire with Alcoholics Anonymous. And he talked about the steps. And he'd tell you, you know, you need to work the steps or you're going to die. You need to work the steps or you're going to die. And all I'm thinking was, dude, I'm dying already. This program sucks. You guys aren't doing nothing for me. This program sucks. And he had a story where he ran over his best friend. And I thought that was funnier. Funny, funny. And so I kept waiting for him to tell that story. And this particular day, he went off about the steps. And I remember thinking, that's it. So I walked up to him at the end of the meeting where I'm gonna tell him, hey, if you're not gonna talk about that funny story, don't share, because you're really boring us. You know, nobody wants to talk about the steps. That's stupid. And what came out of my mouth was, would you help me? And he looked me dead in the eyes and he said this. He said, are you willing to go to any lengths? And if you've heard me speak, I'll tell you the truth. What I heard him say was, are you willing to make out with me? And I thought, and other stuff, because I don't know, you know, how far are we going to go with this? And I thought, in my mind, deep down, I went, I'll do whatever you want me to do. Just don't tell anybody. And, uh, and I really did think, I'll do whatever you tell me to do. Whatever you tell me to do, I'll do it. I want, I want to be happy. I want to be happy. And it, my life's miserable. And I have a year in change. Miserable. So he said, you're going to come to my house once a week. We're going to work the steps. We're going to read out the book, and when we get to a step, we're going to work it. You know, the book says you can, you can, you can tell your fourth step to a priest, a drunk, or a happy guy. You're too sick, you're going to tell it to me, so I can help you as you go along this path. You okay with that? Yeah, miss two times and you're out. My house is not a sandbox, it's not to play. You come to work. If you're not going to work, get the hell out. I got other people to help. Like, dude, this is kind of crazy, but all right. So I did. I did what he said. I did what he said, and, uh, and we started to work the steps, and I'm not going to bore you with all that put a couple of key no, points. So we get to step three. So he said, okay, we're gonna kneel down. Give me your hand. And I go, this is where we make out. I was just waiting. I knew it was gonna be a matter of time. And I just thought, this is where we're gonna make out. And, he, and, uh, and he's a kind and loving man. And so we did the third step prayer and he says, we're gonna get right to action. See, I don't believe in giving people a chance to write their fourth step whenever they feel like. I believe that it should be done in 12 to 13 days and if not, to find somebody else. I can help somebody else. I was told, you're going to write for an hour a day. You're not going to read what you write. You're going to write, and you're going to start on resentments. And this is the way you're going to do it. It should take you between 12 and 14 days. If you want to know who brought that up, it was Ken O'Brien. Ken O'Brien gave it to Jim Tapia. Jim Tapia gave it to Alex Viegas. Alex Viegas gave it to Rick, to Rick Ochoa. Rick Ochoa gave it to, Don, to Ron Dominguez, and Ron Dominguez gave it to me. And I knew that all those people were sober. So I'm going to do it that way. People would come to me and go, oh, I think, I don't care what you think. I'm really not that, I think sometimes that we, and this is just out there, I think that sometimes, I understand helping a newcomer, and I understand loving them, and I understand holding them, and I understand coddling them, but sometimes, in my opinion, we just go too far. Get this shit done. Get this shit done. Well, I trip out when I hear people say, I've been working on my fourth step for four months. You haven't been working on shit, because you could have been done. I mean, even if you did it in Braille, you could have been done. You know, it's four months. I mean, how hard is it to write what you experienced? 
I'm mad at my mom. Why? Because of what you did. And then I go, <laughs> anyways. So I'll get to that. So, so I, he goes, you know, uh, the next thing is we're going to take a vigorous course of action. You're going to write your fourth step. Now, I don't want to write my fourth step because I was molested as a kid. And that's my deepest secret. I'm molested as a kid, and I don't want to tell you because I'm going to be embarrassed. So I, I write everything down. I write all the stuff. Everybody I'm angry at, all of this stuff, he shares with me. I share with him. We go, you know, and then I, I tell him that thing, and it doesn't, he doesn't even balk. He just goes, okay, how do you feel now? And I tell him, and he goes, okay, well, you know it wasn't your fault, right? I'm like, yeah. He goes, okay, let's go on. But the moment I let it out, I wasn't afraid anymore. Then we get through the steps, you know, five, six, seven. You know what? It, I, it's funny. I just talk about this. So six and seven is, is the steps that nobody talks about, right? They're two sentences in the book. They're the most powerful steps we're going to use next to step nine. They're the ones that we have to live by. I wish that I could tell you that I am great at six and seven. I'm not. I mean, I was talking to somebody earlier. I'll tell you a funny story. When I walk into the house, there could be a sock on the floor. It could be mine. And I'm looking at it, and I'm like, hmm, I'll wait for Roxy to get home and her pick it up. So when she gets home and she picks it up, she's going to get mad at me, right? Because all I had to do was pick it up. Step six is I stopped doing the things that I was doing. It's simple. It's, it's, it's a simple concept. It's just extremely hard for a guy like me. How do I stop being sarcastic? I love my friend George. George is the one that asked me to speak. I love him. He knows how much I love him, yet I talk more shit to him than anybody else. And every time I do, I tell myself, don't, don't, and I do. That's my character defect. So how do I work on that? I don't work on that. I truly believe that I can't work on any of my defects. What I do is when I do my daily inventory, I ask God, can you help me with this? Can you help me not to be as sarcastic? Can you help me? If my wife was here and you ask her, how does your husband treat you? I swore she would say the best she's ever had it. And it's not because of me. It's because of what I've learned from you guys after all this time. She couldn't have said that when I was 20 years sober. She couldn't have said that when I was 25 years sober. It's just that now I've gotten to the point that I've been a little bit better. And then you get to seven and you stop doing those things. If I walk in the house and I see something on the floor, I pick it up. It's funny. When that happens, my wife doesn't walk in mad. You know? If, if I do what I'm supposed to do, it's just such an easy thing. And then I got to nine. Right before I got sober, I was working for this company called, called Precraft, and this, this woman and this man owned it. The man had no intention of having me work there when he bought the company, but I was really good at what I did. And so he knew that even a, a shitty Javier is better than no Javier. And so right before, right, his wife got sick with cancer, and right before she died, he asked me if I could come in that day and open the shop. And of course I said, of course. She's dying, of course. And I took a drink that night. So I show up two days later, and a little while after that, she died. Now, I knew it wasn't going to fire me, but she died. So I get to my ninth step. My sponsor tells me exactly how to do it. And I think that this is what changed my life the most. And I remember I walk into, I walk into the urinal, and, and I start to pee. And he walks in right behind me, and he starts to pee. And I remember thinking, is this the right time to do an amends? You're both peeing. <laughs> And I remember we both stopped at the same time. And I thought, I guess it is. So as he turns around, I turn around and I said, hey, Andy, I need to tell you something. And he's, he's, still, he's always been mad at me. I said, he goes, what? And I said, hey, you know, I'm a sober member of Alcoholics Anonymous now. I have a little over two years. I haven't missed a day of, I haven't missed a day of work because of any illness or anything. I went to work one time really sick and he sent me home. I told him my, my aunt died, and he said, I don't care what happens, you just get here right after that. I show up in a, in a full suit, and he's like, what are you doing? So I told him my aunt died. He goes, oh, I thought you were lying. Sorry, go back. And, you know, so that day I said, Andy, I'm sorry. You know, I'm so member of Alcoholics Anonymous now. I don't live the way I used to. Is there anything I can do to make your life better? And he turns, and he looks at me, and he said, before she died, she made me promise not to fire you. She said, she said that if I waited long enough, I was going to see something great happen in your life. See, my whole life up until that moment, I was walking with my head down. I've been ashamed and embarrassed and, and, and all the stuff I had done. And now I wasn't. And from that moment on, my life completely took off. You know, I don't know how much time I have, but, you know, my life completely took off. You know, I, I, I was able to experience all the things, you know, I think Jerry said it. Living a life beyond my wildest dreams. It's, it's been up, it's been down, it's been so what? It's been so what? 
It's never been as bad as when I was drunk, though. Even on my worst day. You know, I've had highs, I've had lows, I've had money, I've lost money. One day I was a millionaire, I swear to God, and the next day I was flat broke. Like, flat broke. It was like, when the market crashed, no way, I was doing good one day, and the next day I was like, oh shit, they're coming for everything up here. Everything. They did. They came for all the houses, they came for the Porsches, they came for everything. And then I had a choice. Because I swear I've never thought of killing myself except for that moment. When they took that last car, I thought, you have two choices. You can go on, or the book says, go on to the bitter end, which to me was death, or you can find God again. And I decided to find God. I was 16 or 17 years sober at the time, and I remember telling myself, all you're going to tell people when they ask you how it's going, you're going to say you're living the dream. You weren't. You're in this you know, little tiny place, you got nothing, you're driving, you know, whatever. And you're not even really working. You're just going to keep saying you're living the dream until it becomes a reality. Because I believe that our words dictate our lives. How you talk and how you act dictates who you become. And I continue to say that. You know, and little by little, my life completely turned around. I've had a bunch of crazy experiences. I have two daughters. I have a 35-year-old and a, and a, and a 40-year-old. The 35-year-old, the 34-year-old. The 34-year-old was... Eight months sober when I got so when I got uh, sober. Never see me drink. One day she asked her sister, "Hey, how come Dad doesn't drink?" And her sister said, "She got I got sober when her sister was six. And she said, "You don't want to see Daddy drink. Daddy does really bad things when he drinks. He throws shit. He he says things. He's mean to mom." And so she never asked me again. And then I got a forty-year-old who got to watch it, who got who's seen it all. What I told myself is once I got sober and I was really sober that I was going to make it a point to be a part of their lives. And nine years sober, and nine or ten years sober, I think I was nine years and 12 months or 10 months, I'm sitting in the jacuzzi with my wife in our house in Diamond Bar and she looks over at me and she says, hey, what do you feel about seeing other people? I thought, this is over. And, uh, and I couldn't blame her. See, she was the same girl that went through all of that stuff with me and I wasn't a good guy. And, I, and the fact that she stayed that long, I was, I was impressed by. But she told me, you know, I, I basically had enough and I'm gonna go do what I need to do. And I couldn't even be mad at her. You know, and at, ten year, at, at one week before my 10 year birthday, we got divorced. But I told myself that that doesn't mean I don't get to see my kids. So I moved a couple miles away. I took my daughter to school every day. You know, I bought my other daughter a car so she could do. My, my youngest daughter played college softball. I don't know if it was the result of me, but she went on. That little girl probably played 200 games in college. I probably seen 160 of them. I didn't care where she was. I didn't care what it costed me. I didn't care, but I wasn't going to miss it. My other daughter, my oldest daughter, will tell you that any time that she needs her father, that he's there. The crazy part is I came to Alcoholics Anonymous to stop drinking, but somewhere along the line, I became a daddy. Somewhere along the line, I became the person that they come to when they need advice. My youngest daughter is, 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 is way beyond me. She owns a couple properties. She has a really good job. She has a really good husband. All of these things, right? Stuff that I would have never even considered. But she still, when she has a problem, she'll come to me. That's crazy. You know, my, my home life is tremendously better because of Alcoholics Anonymous. The woman that I'm married to today, I have never called her a bad name in nine years. I have never cussed at her. We've only gotten really mad at each other once, and when she screamed, I felt it coming, and I went, don't do it. See, I'm not the kind that plays fair. I'm the kind that cuts you down to make you cry immediately, because I know stuff. I'm just going to go after that weak, that weak spot. And I remember just thinking, I'm not going to do this, because if I do it once, I'm going to do it again. And I never have. My life's amazing because of alcoholics, Anonymous. You know, what is my life today? This is my five minutes of snitching on myself. Um, January 30th, my mother turned left, her heel turned right, and she fractured her heel. I get a call, I'm at work, and my sister says, you need to take my mom to the doctor. How dare you? I run my own business. I have a, a little printing company that pays for all my bills. I can't afford, you know, to take time off of work to take my mother, right? I take my mother. I take her to the doctor, she has a fracture. My mom, my mom is the most sweet and loving person until you work for her. 
The last person that took care of my mom, she got mad because she wouldn't take her to church anymore and fired her. The woman was amazing. God sinned, fired her. So my sisters go, we're going to have to go 24s. I'm like, what? She goes, yeah, we're going to go We're gonna go threes, three nines. She goes, each of us are going to have to take three days a, three days a week. We're on three, off six. And you're going to watch mom from that morning at 8 o'clock when you get relieved to the third day at 8 o'clock when you get relieved. No questions asked. I thought, you're crazy. I have a business. There's no way I can do this. And I go to meetings, and I have people I sponsor, and I do all these things for Alcoholics Anonymous. How dare you ask me to do this? And then I remembered that because of Alcoholics Anonymous, I get to do this. So I go to my mom's house three days, three days a week, and I take care of her. And this is, what it, this is what it entails. This is how hard it is. She gets up at 10, gets up at 10, after doing her rosary and watching the, the mass on TV. And she says, can I get a coffee and breakfast? Breakfast is usually yogurt, fruit, or if she wants, I'll make her eggs. I'll, I could cook eggs, whatever, eggs. She eats. We, we talk for an hour and a half of the same three stories that she tells me from the day before. And then I listen politely and I pretend I don't, and then ask her questions. Like, hey, what about that horse? Oh yeah, I remember that horse. And she just goes off and she, and then at about 12.30, she's like, okay, you can wheel me back to the room. So I take her back to the room and she watches this, this Catholic show on TV till about two o'clock. Then she says, hey, I need to go to the bathroom. I wheel her to the bathroom, bring her back. And then at, at six o'clock, there's a, there's a rosary that they do on, on, on the phone with all of her brothers and sisters, and she does that. Then she says, I'm hungry, and then I feed her. And I think I could have missed it. I could have missed it all. My mother's 91 years old. And every time I think, I think you know, this is a lot, I think, what are you going to do when she's not here? My father died uh, in 20... My father died in 13 what I wouldn't do for a day with my dad. You know, as much as I hated him growing up, when he passed away, he was one of my best friends. He was the one I went to for everything. He was the one I confided in. He was the one, he would ask me, really, he would ask me stuff he shouldn't be asking me. But I remember thinking, I finally have the father I've always wanted. And now I have the mother. And all I gotta do is show up, you know, so what I did is I hired this woman that works for me that takes care of my mom between 8.30 and 5 so I can go to work and not worry. I pay this woman and she does a phenomenal job to the point that she'll show up on days that she's not even supposed to work, just hang out with my mom. My mom loves it and it's been working out great. What does that have to do with alcoholics and miss Everything. Somewhere along the line I found God and because of God, who I talk to on a daily basis, um, Hank, Hank gave me this paper about 10 years ago and it says, if you don't, I'm not gonna, I don't remember the poem because I'm not that kind of guy. But what it says was, if you seek God in the morning, you'll have him throughout the day. It's easier than seeking him when you have to. So I seek God every morning and I ask him this, Father, help me to be the person that you want me to be. Not the person that I want to be because I am still selfish and self-centered. What do you want me to be? Help me to talk the way you want me to talk. I'll be honest, I was nervous about this meeting. I don't know why. And I just said, somewhere along the day, I was so busy that I just said, okay, God, whatever comes out of my mouth is gonna come from you, because I have nothing. I'm tired. I got home at 5, uh, 5 uh, 26, jumped in the shower, put this suit on, and drove here, and hopeless didn't get too freaked out, because I was gonna get here like five minutes before. And I just thought, why not? Alcoholics Anonymous has given me a life beyond my wildest dreams, you know? And uh, everything I have is because of it. The, the little company that I, that I own, because of God. The relationship that I have at home, because of God. The relationship that I have with my brothers and sisters, because of God. You know, everything that I have. And I've been able to do all the things I've always wanted to do. I'll end with this. I was a guy that would tell you stories in the garage. I know none of you guys have ever been in the garage. You know, with a bunch of people up for two or three days talking stories. I did this, you're lying. I did, you're lying, I, you're lying. You know, it's hard to go. It's hard to go to Europe when you live in a garage, and uh, and but now I've been able to do all those things. You know, my wife and I are going to to uh, to Europe with George and them. We're going on a trip, on a 14-day European trip, right? That stuff I would I couldn't have even imagined. My wife and I have traveled all over the all over the world, literally, because of Alcoholics Anonymous and and, and the stuff. So if you wonder if it works, it works. But you got to work it. 
This is not happening by osmosis. You're not going to get it by going to meetings only. You're going to get it by doing the work. And I hope you do the work. And I now know what they mean by let go and let God. I now know what that means. And I know how to show you, you know, what that means. So if you're new, man, I'd like to welcome you. Happy birthday to the birthday people. And let's thank you for letting me talk.